0: And welcome to Hope Community Church. Thank you for the response, I appreciate that. Um, Before we begin, we have, there's a collection of books in the back corner. Uh, They are free for you to grab. Uh, Most of them are from John, uh, written by John MacArthur. They were donated to me, I picked through them, and uh, I put the others that I either have, have read or whatnot. They're in the back corner, so if you're looking for some reading material, it's back there. Unfortunately, Saturday night service took about half of the books that were there last night. Um, but they did say that when they're done or when they um, look at the books more thoroughly, they will bring them back to either to the library or back to that back um, table. So check that out after the service. Um, also, we also have the exploring, um, exploring the Bible books back there, which is a good children's book. So if you're looking for a, a book that will engage your child um, in daily reading of scripture, and the daily reading is really just a few verses. It's not even whole chapters. Uh, they read a few verses, and they answer a question about that verse. Uh, so it's very basic, I mean, very basic. Um, if your child can read and, and write in any capacity, it is appropriate for them. It will help develop that habit. It comes to verse memorization as well. So again, we have uh, several of those copies back there. You can uh, check those out. Before we begin our message, let's go to our Father um, in heaven in prayer. Father, thank you for your great mercy. Thank you for this privilege to gather as one body, as a family of believers, to hear your word this morning. We thank you that we can sing these praises and sing of your glory. Father, we ask that you forgive us for our sins. We ask that on the basis of your son, of what he has accomplished for us with his shed blood. So help us come before you boldly this morning to hear you, to seek help. And to be edified by your truth this morning, by your grace, and by your love. Father, help us to be focused. Help us not to be distracted by the worries, the anxieties, the burdens of this world, nor the delights. But help us to give our full attention to you. And in doing so, may we glorify you. May we be sanctified. And we ask all these things, Father, for your glory, by the power of the Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Who are you? What is your identity? What does your identity say about you? Does your identity match how the world identifies you? Does your identity even matter? Well, it does. See, our identity speaks of the relations we hold with others. For example, fathers, mothers, wives, husbands, children, sons, daughters, it all speaks of relationships. Our identity also speaks to our purpose, our function, our roles. Firefighters, politicians, lawyers, pastors, teachers, doctors, and so forth. Our identity can even speak to our worth and value. Heir, president, king, so forth. Some identities, however, though esteemed by the world, are ungodly. And that in itself says something about those who hold These identities. Identities such as gay, queer, trans, or those who identify with no gender at all. These identities are clearly unholy and ungodly. However, there are other identities that include political affiliations and ambitions that can be just as ungodly depending on how much authority they exert in your life in relation to your other identities that you hold. And in a fallen world as hostile to God's will, it is easy to lose sight of who we are, who we are called to be and, and to allow these ungodly identities to take hold and lead us in regard to how we live. So, how do we combat this? How do we maintain our God-given identity? Well, our text, 2 Kings 11, if you haven't turned there already, please go ahead and turn there, open up. If you need a Bible, we got Bibles underneath the seats. 2 Kings 11 gives us an event in Judah's history where identity was lost for the nation. Yet by God's grace, a priest named Jehoiada was able to lead the people of Judah back to recovering their identity by renewing God's covenant, and as such, were able to find peace and rest. So let us look at this chapter, then let us consider the significance of this covenant renewal for Judah And then consider the covenant for us today and how we, and if we are able to, how we are able to renew the covenant in our lives. My intention is not to focus on the details of each of these covenants, though we will speak of the significance of each of these covenants. Rather, my intention is to focus on how we renew it and why we renew it. So let's go ahead and read the entire chapter, 2 Kings 11, verse 1 through the end. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jerome, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death, and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah, so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of Yahweh, while Athaliah reigned over the land. But in the seventh year Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Carites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of Yahweh. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of Yahweh. And he showed them the king's son. And he commanded them, this is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate, sir, and a third at the gate behind the guards, shall guard the palace and the two divisions of you, which come on duty in force on the Sabbath, and guard the house of, the, of Yahweh on behalf of the king, shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. The captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of Yahweh. And the guards stirred. Every man with his weapons in his hand from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar in the house on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went into the house of Yahweh to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, according to the custom and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! Then Jehoiada, the priest, commanded the captains who were set over the army, bring her out between the ranks, put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, Let her not be put to death in the house of Yahweh. So they laid hands on her, and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house. Horse? House? Yes. And there she was to put to death. And Jehoiada made a covenant between Yahweh and the king and the people that they should be Yahweh's people, and also between the king and the people. And then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of Yahweh. And he took the captains, the carites, the guards, and all the people of the land, And they brought the king down from the house of Yahweh, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house, and he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. Jehoash was seven years old when he began to reign. So this chapter starts with a power vacuum. If you remember, uh, two weeks ago, we spoke about about Jehu, how he became king of Israel by killing King Jerome, who also, his, one of his final words was, Oh, treachery, similar to Athaliah's here, and as well as King Ahaziah, who was the king of Judah. So the queen here, she should have allowed one of queen, uh, King Ahaziah's sons to rise to the throne, but she doesn't. She wipes out her own family. She sees this as an opportunity to serve herself, to get this power, and she does. And she attempts to, uh, by killing out the sons of David, by trying to snuff out the Davidic covenant. However, Joash, he is hidden away. Now, uh, clarification on Joash's name, uh, just like Jerome, uh, Joash can also be understood as Jehoash. And just as we have a king of Judah whose name is Joash, there's actually going to be king of Israel also by the same name in a little bit. So it's going to get confusing uh, once again to try to maintain the difference. You don't have to worry about that today though. But Joash, this boy, he's hidden away, and he's hidden in the temple by Jehosheba. Now, it makes sense that he's hidden in the temple for a couple of things. One, Athaliah, she's, she's, um, she's not a believer. She's a pagan. She's a Baal worshiper. She's not allowed in the house. She's a woman. Uh, so she can't be going into the temple. But more than likely, even where the boy is hiding, she could go, right? Because the nurse is with him. So a woman could go in there, but she doesn't. But the temple makes sense because Jehoshiba is the wife of the priest. In 2 Chronicles 22, our text doesn't tell us this, but 2 Chronicles 22 uh, tells us that Jehoshiba, she was the wife of the priest Jehoiada. So they're living there anyway, so they hide the boy there, and they make him king at the age of seven. Upon him being made king, Athaliah, Hearing the noise, hearing the commotion, she tries to stop it to no avail. fail. She gets executed. And then the Baal priest, Matan, he also gets executed. So we have, and then the land is purged from Baal worship. Now this reform that Jehoiada leads is much less bloody than Jehu's reform. Jehu's reform was blood everywhere. I mean, everyone was getting killed. Here, just only two people are recorded as being executed. And uh, and then uh, the city, Judah, the nation, experiences rest and peace. But verse 17, verse 17 is our key verse for us this morning. There's a lot that goes on here, but all of it it really revolves around verse 17 because it's in verse 17 that Judah finds themselves again, finds their identity. Let's read verse 17 again. Jehoiada made a covenant between Yahweh and the king and the people. That they should be Yahweh's people. And also between the king and the people. So we have two covenants that are made here. Rather, two covenants that are renewed. The first is between Yahweh and the king and the people. This is the old covenant. The second one is between the king and the people. This one's probably similar to the one that David made uh, back in 2 Samuel 5. If you recall 2 Samuel 5, Followed the civil war, David had been king of Judah for a while, and then he becomes king over all the nation, both Israel and Judah. In 2 Samuel 5, he makes a covenant between himself and the people. But the covenant of concern for us is not the social, political one that was made between the boy king and Judah. The one that is of concern for us is the theological one made between God, his king, and his people. So what is or what was the significance of the old covenant for the people of Judah, for them to renew it? If you remember, this covenant was made and confirmed in the book of Exodus. Remember, God had delivered his people out of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery, had delivered them through the Red Sea, and they come to Mount Sinai. God gives Moses all these words. Moses delivers all these words to the people, and the people are like, yes, we will do it. And Exodus 24 records that confirmation between Yahweh and his people. They agreed to obey his law with all their heart. So they essentially are taking on a new identity. This covenant marks the people of Judah as gods. Hear the words of the covenant in Deuteronomy 7:6. For you are a people, holy to Yahweh your God. Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples. Who are on the face of the earth. So Israel has been chosen, marked by God as His. This gives them worth, this this gives them value, it gives them, identifies their relationship, it identifies the role and purpose. Just a few verses later, in verse 11, we see the expected response to this new identity. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Because this is who you are. This is your identity. In Leviticus 19.2, God sums up the purpose of their obedience. At the end of verse 2, he says, You shall be holy, right? Speaking to all the congregation of the people of Israel. You shall be holy. Why? For I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. So the old covenant, the one cut on Mount Sinai, the one that the king of Israel the one that the king of of Judah was supposed to reign in submission to and know. In Deuteronomy 17, it gives instructions for the kings of Israel, even before there's a king for the nation. And it says that the king is to make a copy, like write the law down, so that the king would know the law. And then the king is to read the law and commit himself to the law so that he would reign righteously. This covenant was to guide the people of God in righteousness. It was meant to prevent them from going into idolatry, into Baal worship. And in the covenant, The people of God are given observance of feasts to help them remember who God is, who Yahweh is, who they are, to help them to call to mind who they are as a people, to call to mind their identity, especially the Passover feast. It's meant to call over mind what God did for them in Egypt. Feast of Tabernacles is meant to call to mind what God did for them in the wilderness, how he has provided for them and thus how they are to live in light of their God-given identity. But as we have read, somewhere along the way, Solomon's reign, they have lost their way. They've lost it many times before, and they seem to get it back, but they have lost it. They forget who they are. They stopped believing. They stopped being faithful. They forget how they are supposed to live. But now, in chapter 11 of 2 Kings, by the actions of the priest Jehoiada and the boy king, Jehoash, they remember. They remember who they are before God, and they remember who God is. And as such, in response to that new identity, they purge the land of Baal worship. They purge it of idolatry, of unfaithfulness, and what do they receive in response to that? Peace and rest. It's no different today. We have been given an identity from God. We, in our faith of Jesus Christ, have entered into a covenant that marks for us who we are and how we are to live. Yet, like the people of Judah, we are forgetful at times. And like Judah, we have negative influences in our lives desiring to lead us astray. Whether it's an outside influence, like a modern-day Athaliah telling us how things should be, or it's ourselves Giving in to those influences, or just ourselves wanting to do what we want to do. So the question then for us: How do we renew our covenant with God, like Judah did? How do we remind ourselves of it? And that's the that's when we talk about renewing the covenant. It's not that the covenant is canceled. All right, let's just clarify the language here. It's a reminder to renew the covenant is to remind. us of the covenant to rededicate ourselves to the covenant that is already existing. It's not canceled. It's not like it was canceled and they had to make it new again. No, it's a reminder of the covenant. So how do we do that? How do we stay grounded? How do we return if we do stray? Well, first we must discuss how one becomes part of the new covenant, which is different from the old covenant. So let me clarify what the new covenant is in case you're unfamiliar with what the new covenant is. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares Yahweh. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know Yahweh, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So as prophesied by Jeremiah, here are the characteristics of that new covenant. God's word being in us, Yahweh as our God. We will know Yahweh because he will be in us, and our sin will be forgiven, which means that we are reconciled to Yahweh, and that reconciliation is what makes all of that other stuff possible. Therefore, to partake of the new covenant is to be forgiven of our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ as we look to the Son of Man as our Lord and Savior and we place our trust in him. This leads to everlasting life as the word of God by the Spirit abides in us now in the old covenants the people of israel the people of judah they were given markers feasts and days to observe to remember who god is what yahweh had done for them and who they were in light of those truths thus dictating their responsibilities and reminding them of their worth it's the same with the new covenants Though we don't have a calendar, we've been given two key marks of the new covenant: Two ordinances, or sacraments if you prefer that word, baptism and communion. But before we speak to each of these, I want us to understand how the new covenant was ushered in first. For what marks the new covenant points us to the thing that which made and sustains the new covenant. At the Last Supper... Jesus, in Matthew 26, 27, 28, in explaining communion, speaks of the cup of wine as representing his blood that will be shed upon the cross for our sin. Here he his words. Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, all right, the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Notice the connection there. Remember in verse 34 of Jeremiah 31, what was a key distinctive of the new covenant? Forgiveness of sin. And Jesus here is connecting his blood of the covenant, connecting it with the forgiveness of sins. So the new covenant is inaugurated, is ushered in, and its promises are sustained by the shed blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the marks, baptism and communion, In order to be effective at their purpose, they must call to mind the death of Christ and all that entails, the whole gamut. And the key thing that the new covenant entails, the good news of which we rejoice over, is rooted in identity. For a new one is needed to enter into the kingdom. You cannot maintain the identity that you were born or that the world gave you or that you yourself formed. You cannot take that identity with you into the kingdom. You need a new identity. You need to be born again. So the new covenant, it's all about receiving a new identity, a new spirit, a new heart. And of course, please understand that both baptism and communion, they need to be accompanied by the faithful teaching of God's holy word. If God's word is not faithfully proclaimed, faithfully taught, then communion, baptism, both have no power, no meaning, no grace. Both baptism and communion are visible, physical expressions of God's proclaimed word and what it has done for us. So as we enter into this covenant, as we take on a new identity, we are made anew. Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, which is just another way of saying if anyone's in the new covenant, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Notice there's no mixing here. It's not like, behold, he is a mixed creation. Partly new, partly old. No, he is new. The old has passed. There's no sharing of the identity here. There's no, well, he's part Christian and part Whatever else, he is a new creation. He is in Christ. This new identity, this new creation, is not intended to be a secret identity, as if you're a secret agent, and the world's not supposed to know who you really are, as if you're spying for the kingdom or something. It's meant to be known. It's meant to be declared. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be testified of. It's an identity that comes with the responsibility of this identity I'm giving you, You will be a witness of it. You will testify of it. You will testify of the power that's given you this new life. Therefore, we declare this publicly to the world as commanded in Scripture through water baptism. And regardless of what your opinion is on baptism, baptism is the God-ordained way of identifying as one of his. You just can't get around that. Acts 2.38, I don't have the verse, but Peter... What's the response to salvation? Repentance and baptism. And note, repentance and baptism do not save you. Repentance and baptism, both of them, are gifts of salvation. The fact that you are saved, you are able to repent. The fact that God gave you a new heart, a new spirit, allows you to enter into his throne room with confidence in time of need, in time of help, not afterwards, but in the midst of it, thus allowing you to repent and to be saved. Baptized, they are fruits of salvation. Acts 10.47, Peter, he goes to Cornelius' house, the centurion, right? This is Peter's first engagement with the Gentiles. They start speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit falls upon them, and he says in verse 47, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And then in Acts 22.16, Paul, talking about his salvation experience, talks about how he was with Ananias. Ananias restored his sight after he was made blind by Jesus. And Ananias tells Paul, hey, you've been chosen by God to do a work. And then in verse 16, Ananias tells him, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It wasn't rise and when the moment suits you, when you feel capable, you can be baptized. Water was available, so therefore be baptized. Don't wait. Be baptized. And in order to be a faithful disciple, to be a faithful partaker of the new covenant, baptism is necessary. Matthew 28, 19, 20. Jesus says, speak to the disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now what follows this phrase tells you what it, how you can make a disciple. If you don't do these things, you're not making disciples. If these things haven't happened, they're not faithful disciples. Now, they might be disciples in ignorance, and upon which when you hear the word of God, you correct, you submit yourself, and you, you correct it. But if you willfully refuse to do the first thing of these next two things, you fail to do the second thing as well. Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if, if you find out and if you read scripture, it's the New Testament, it's not a mystery. Everyone's baptized. If you're a believer, you're baptized. When water is made available, you are baptized. There aren't believers in the New Testament. and the early church, it's like, I just don't want to be baptized. Now, maybe water is not available, right? That's fine, right? This is about the heart. Like, maybe right now you want to be baptized, but there's still ice on the water. We don't have a baptistry up here, so we can't baptize you. Does that make you unfaithful? No because you want to be baptized. And as soon as that moment comes, we will baptize you. But if you're just like, I don't see the point, that's that's sin of omission. You're, you're, you're failing the second part of this part too. Right? You're not doing all that Jesus has commanded. And part of that is baptism. So we want to be baptized. If you're not baptized, you can't say that you're a faithful disciple. Especially right now, now that I'm preaching on it, but especially since it's, it's in the Word of God. I mean, it's, you just pick up the Bible and you read the New Testament. I don't see how you can get through the New Testament and be like, I don't need to be baptized. Like, you read Acts? Just, and that's just one book. So we want to be baptized because baptism is connected with our identity. When I was at seminary, I met Christians, some Christians from China. And often, uh, the Chinese Americans have two names They're a Chinese name and an American name, like Kevin. You know, Kevin and some hard name to pronounce. And I would often ask what the hard name is to pronounce. I want to respect them. I want to try to learn it. Um, usually, it ends up embarrassing me. But some of them, they'd say, Well, I don't have a, I don't have a name. I'd be like, and I'd be like, What do you mean you have a Chinese name? Well, I was baptized. Because see to them, when they when they become baptized, they take on a Christian name. And that's their name. Their old identity is gone. They don't, they don't keep anything from that old identity. Once they have been baptized and they come out of that water, they are John. They are Mark. They are Thomas. Their birth given name, no more. They drop it. It is dead. It has been crucified with Christ, and it's Christ who lives in them. And they live this out. So, as baptism is a physical expression of our new identity, it is also a gift to us. Because by having a day that you were wet, that you were baptized, you are able to look back and remind yourself, as affirmed by the local church that witnessed your baptism, that God, by His grace, He saved you. By His grace, through faith in Christ. He saved you, and He united you with His Son in His death and His resurrection. It wasn't about the prayer you said. It wasn't about how you felt, if you were sincere enough. It wasn't about the altar call. No, it was about the work of Christ on the cross, by God's grace, so that no one may boast. The day that you were wet, that you can look back, you're like, I am His, He is mine, I am justified. Thus, you're able to remind yourself of who you are but also of the new life to which you ought to live in accordance to. Paul, Romans 6, 1-4, what shall we say then? And if you are looking for a passage to memorize, this is a worthy one. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, right? That's us going underwater in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when we are baptized, that's essentially what we are representing. We go under the water, we're united with Christ in his death. Now this reality has already happened, but the baptism is the public, visible expression of this truth that's being declared to the world and a reminder to us. And so when we come up, that represents the new life, the everlasting life that we have been given but what happens when we don't walk in newness of life what happens when we somehow have allowed the world or our own selfish desires to sit on the throne um, that is reserved for christ that we've had we've allowed athaliah to take the throne from the son of david what happens when we engage in idolatry What happens when we are convicted of our backsliding and we see we need to get right with God again? Or maybe we have just forgotten who we are. Maybe we have forgotten our baptism as Israel forgotten about God's deliverance of their baptism as they went through the Red Sea when God parted it for them. Do we get rebaptized? Is that what we need to do? If we're saying that we need to get rebaptized, it's like saying you need to be justified again. Baptism is a one-and-done act, just like your justification is. Or do we need to ask the Son of God to be re-crucified again? as what happens at every Catholic mass. They ask the Son of God, hey, come down one more time. Bleed again for our sins. The first time wasn't enough. We need more blood. It's a heresy. It's a blasphemous. Hebrews 6 talks about how can those who have tasted the goodness of the kingdom, the fruits of the heavenly kingdom but yet have wandered away, do they think that they can re-crucify the Son and enter into His grace again? How do we renew our covenant with God as Judah did? How do we remind ourselves of it if we can't remember our baptism? Maybe you're baptized as a child, as an infant, or maybe as you age, your mind starts to go. You're baptized at age thirty, but you're you're ninety-nine and you don't have a memory all that great, and you can't remember the day you were baptized. How do you remember this covenant that you are a part of? Communion. This is its role, this is its function. Here are the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 23 26. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, It reminds us of the new covenant. It reminds us we are in it because of his grace, not because of his works. Communion doesn't put us into the covenant. Communion helps us to proclaim the Lord's death, which granted us access. It reminds us that we have been forgiven of sin and reconciled to the Father. It reminds us of the truth of 1 Peter 2, 9, 10, and note the similar language here, that Peter has here that's similar to Deuteronomy 7, 6 that we read earlier. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is all covenantal language. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received Mercy. Communion reminds us that Christ upon the cross said, It is finished. Communion is not something that we add to the cross. It reminds us that it was accomplished on the cross, that it was finished upon the cross. Communion is a gift of grace. It's not a means of saving grace. We're not saved by partaking of communion. It reminds us that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Communion reminds us of our baptism. Because it reminds us of who we are, disciples of Christ. And like, like we've talked about already, disciples of Christ are baptized disciples. It reminds us that we have been washed with the word, as we were washed with the water. Regardless of what the world may say, or what Athelias of the day may say, what the devil might whisper in your ear. You're a sinner. You're an idolater. You're lazy. You're a gossiper. All you do is talk about other people. You're a glutton. You can't lay off the greed. All you care about is money. All you care about is being sexually active with others or with the computer or, or whatever it may be. You're a liar. You love to be caught up in drama. You worry all the time. You can't help but worry. You, worry is a sport for you. You worry so much. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And note this list. This is not a list of sins. This is a list of people. This is a list of identities. Yes, they include sins. This is how they are identified, by the sins that they practice. But these, we must not think that they're just sins, as if the people are innocent. No, these are people. These are uh, people who are marked by the things that they practice. But note verse 11, the very next verse. Such were some of you. Some of you were like this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were this, but not anymore. Paul's not saying you're not going to do this anymore, but you have been washed of that sin. That's no longer who you are. You are a new creation. The old has passed. You've been crucified. Your flesh has been crucified with Christ. It's you who no longer lives, but it's Christ who lives in you, and you do so by faith. And all of this is by the washing of the word and by the blood of Christ. Sanctified, past tense. Right, and sanctified is one of those things where it's a reality, but it's also for us in this present age, it's a process. But forensically speaking, before, before God, he looks at us, we are wholly righteous because it's the righteousness of Christ, not our righteousness. And we are justified. It is a done deal. Therefore, it's an oxymoron to say, I'm a gay Christian. You can't do that. It does not work that way. Nor can you say, I'm a gluttonous Christian. And you shouldn't be going around saying, oh, I'm just a worry wart. No, you're not. You're a believer in Christ. You're called not to worry. It's not that you won't, but when you have worries and anxieties, you lay them down at Christ. Don't go around publicly declaring you're an identity that goes against the teachings of Scripture. That's not faithful. Have some faith and trust God and don't allow the devil to think, well, that's just how you are. No, you are a new creation. Yes, there will be struggles, there will be battles against those arrows of the flesh, the sins of the flesh. But don't give in thinking that's who you are. You are a new creation. Christ lives in you. Don't let the world or anyone else or even your fallen self make you think otherwise. Thus, when we take communion, we are reminded of our new identity, co-heirs with Christ, true children of God. And let's clarify that term. People say everyone's a child of God in regards to God creating everyone, yes. In regards to family rights, no. Only those who believe in Jesus Christ, only those who are part of the new covenant can truly say they are true sons and daughters of the Most High King, of the Most High God, because they are the ones that will receive the imperishable inheritance. So we are co-heirs of Christ. Communion reminds us that we are royal priests. We are disciples of Christ. It reminds us that we are people of mercy, righteousness, love, hope, and truth, all things that were given to us by God's grace Thus, we generously share it with others. Communion, being the sign of the new covenant, reminds us that the word of God is written upon our hearts as his spirit dwells within us, and his word abides in us as we abide in him in love. That's John 14, John 15. All this having been made possible by his crucifixion, resurrection, as well as his ascension, which allowed his spirit to be sent into us, to dwell with us forever. Communion reminds us that Jesus is returning as we anxiously await, as he anxiously awaits, to come and set the table of real food, real wine, where we were dine with him at the end of day, so we live in anticipation of his return when he will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. So we confidently confess our sin to God. We confidently enter his throne room with confidence, knowing that we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who intercedes on our behalf, just as Judah had Jehoiada, intercede on their behalf, to help them remember their identity, and to restore them rightfully in a rightful relationship with Yahweh. We have Jesus who reminds us of our identity through his word and through the sacraments of baptism and communion. So we come to the table weekly to remind ourselves who we are because of what Christ has done, seeking to live the new life we are called to live. And in obedience to his word, we, like Judah, we find the peace and rest we so desperately desire. Even in the midst of a world full of suffering and tribulation, faithfulness will not keep you from suffering. Hence why we need to gather so we can continue to proclaim his death. And as we do so, we think of his words, and we remind ourselves of who we are and why we are able to live as he commands us to live. And in times such as these, consider especially the words of John 16:33. Jesus says, right before his priestly prayer, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Blessed God, we humbly adore you as the great Father of lights and the giver of every good and every perfect gift. We seek every blessing from you, and especially those which may lead us to yourself and prepare us for the eternal enjoyment of you. We adore you as the God who searches the hearts and tries the reins of the children of men. Search us, God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. May we be renewed in the spirit of our minds. You give us new hearts and place new spirits within us. Make us partakers of the divine nature, and as he who has called us is holy, may we be holy in all we say and do. May the same mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, and may we walk even as he walked. Deliver us from being cardinally minded, which is death, and make us spiritually minded, since that is life and peace. And may we, while we pass through this world, walk by faith and not by sight and be strong in faith, giving glory to you. May your grace teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously and godly in accordance to our new identity of which you have bestowed to us. Work in our hearts the kind of godliness which is profitable for all things. Teach us by the influence of your blessed spirit to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we submit ourselves to you as alive from the dead and present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable in your sight, which is our most reasonable service. And we ask, Father, that you would bless the elements before us, the, communion, the cup and the bread, that you would encourage us, convict us as necessary, that you would give us the confidence that upon confession of our sin, we would come up here, that we would be reminded that we as a church, as one body, united together in one faith and one baptism, that we would proclaim the death of your Son, on this day and every day that shall follow, Father. Help us to do this as we gather in the future. Help us to glorify you in all things. And may we go out boldly of confidence, not forgetting who we are, not forgetting who you are, Father, and reminding that you are faithful in all things. We ask all this for your glory. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. At this time, we'll go into communion. Myself and Mark will be up here, take a moment to pray um, if, you're not, if you're a believer... Now, let me clarify. If, if you're a believer, you haven't been baptized, and you, if your heart right now is saying, I want to be baptized, you're welcome to the table. right? We're not going to keep that from you. So you're welcome to come to the table. But if your heart's saying, I don't want to be baptized, I would abstain from the table. That's a sin of omission. The king has asked you to wash your hands if water's available. Why come to the table when he specifically told you to wash your hands if water's available? So if you're not willing to do that... I would just ask that you would abstain. We could talk more about it uh, afterwards if you like. Um, but after you pray, come up, grab the elements, take to your seat, consume it, and we'll close in a few songs of praise.